Now, before we commence our study in Titus, we're just going to look at the first four verses of the first chapter. We're not going to, I don't think, uh, begin a study of Titus at this time. But before we turn to Titus 1, um, I thought, I mean, it did my heart good to read this, and I know it was good for Gary to hear it again, and I thought I'd share it with you all afresh. We read in Job chapter 20, you'll turn there, just the last part of uh, Job uh, uh, twenty, uh, rather twenty-two. Uh, rather Job, Job chapter two. My mistake. Job chapter twenty, uh, chapter two, rather, and then in verse twenty-two, I'm going to have to find that. <laughs> Gary probably has it right there. I'm fine. Uh, Job twenty-two twenty-nine. <laughs> I'd like to remember the reference. the The reference is good to remember, but it's far better to remember the word, is it not? <laughs> it says there in Job twenty-two verse twenty-nine. There in the latter part. Beloved, he shall save the humble person. Now that word, humble person, that expression, you can uh, substitute that there for he shall save the sinner. He shall save the sinner. It makes me think about what our Lord tells us in Luke 18. You remember that account of the Pharisee and the publican? And uh, we're all born depraved, born born in this into this world, coming forth from other, our mother's womb, speaking lies, you know, just just utter and complete darkness. What this Pharisee says of himself, he says, "I thank you, God, that I'm not like other men." What what a lie! And that's the lie you'll be left to believe unless the Lord does something for you. Luke eighteen verse nine. And our Lord spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Those two always go hand in hand. You find yourself in the midst of self-righteous people. You wait long enough, they're going to start despising you. You just wait on it. They'll start looking down their noses at you. Those two always go together like the, the two sides of the same coin. They thought that they were righteous in of themselves, and despised others. Verse 10, Two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week, I give tithes of all that I possess, and the publican standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes into heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And we can say it all the more emphatically this morning, by God's grace. God, be merciful to me, the sinner, the worst of sinners, the worst. Beloved, he shall save Sinners from their sins. True sinners. Not those who pretend at it, but those who know it by God's grace. 
Now, as I mentioned, we're going to be looking at Titus chapter 1. Just return there to where we were reading in Titus chapter 1. 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy. Some of you got the fancy uh, <laughs> electronic Bibles, do you? <laughs> I guess you can go right there. Titus chapter 1, verse 1. And I'll begin re- reading there in verse 1 once again. Paul, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledging of the truth, which is after godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God, that cannot lie, promised before the world began, but hath in due times manifested his word through preaching, which is committed unto me according to the commandment of God our Savior. To Titus, mine own son, after the common faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. Now this morning, I'd like for us to take a few moments to study the first four verses found in the book of Titus. We read here Paul referring to himself, not with some bombastic title like doctor or reverend. You know, he's not saying, hi, I'm, I'm Dr. Paul or I'm, I'm Reverend Paul, but simply Paul. Now, his name actually means little. He writes, Paul, a servant of God, a a slave of God. Now, while this is a very humble title, a very humble title indeed, but it's also a title with much honor. Little Paul, a servant, a slave of God. Paul, a willing, loving bond slave of Jesus Christ, and, and beloved, this is how all of God's preachers should be known, as servants of the Most High God. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 5, We preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. Before Paul met our Savior on the road to Damascus, he was a servant of sin. But being justified and called by the grace of God, he became a willing loving bond slave to the Lord Jesus Christ. And we see Paul often referring to himself as a servant, a slave of God in his epistles. He also calls himself an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now the word apostle simply means one sent of God. You see, the Lord Jesus Christ commissioned, gifted, called, and sent Paul, previously known as Saul of Tarsus, to declare this message of salvation in Christ Jesus. Uh, I love the way the beloved physician Luke records his uh, message there in Acts 13. This is what Paul said. The Lord commanded us. You know, in effect, he's saying, I'm not here to to tell you about my business. (laughs) I'm here because the Lord has commanded us. The Lord commanded us, saying, I have set thee to be a light of the Gentiles, that thou shouldest be for salvation unto the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord, and as many as were ordained to eternal life believed. Now in Titus 1.1, we read there this, this part of that verse. It says, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledging of the truth, which is after godliness. Now, the faith of God's elect, that's the faith that glorifies God's Son. That's the the truth as it is in 
in Christ. And so that begs the question, who are the elect? Well, the elect are the very ones chosen of God unto salvation before the foundation of the world. And Paul would have us to know that he was one of them, not because of anything he had done, but simply according to God's eternal purpose and grace given him in Christ Jesus before the world began. And that speaks to us who believe here this morning. It says there, and just turn a few pages to the left there, Second Timothy chapter 1, verse 9, it says there, the gospel according to the power of God who hath saved us and called us with unholy calling, not according to our works. Let me say that again. <laughs> not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. Throughout Scripture, those who believe are called the elect of God. Um, the Lord used other terms to refer to those people, his sheep, the sheep of Christ. Remember what he said? He said, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. And I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. And God's elect are known by believing God. That's what the faith of God's elect does. It believes Christ. So how do we know if we're one of the elect of God? That's a good question, isn't it? How do we know we're one of the elect of God? Well, God grants faith to believe the truth through the preaching of the gospel when it pleases God. And that God-given faith is particular and peculiar to God's elect. The faith of God's elect, we know, is the gift of God. You see, faith is not something that's innate or native to the depraved, sinful heart of man. We're not, we're not born with this faith. And so we see how that, that faith, the faith of God's elect, is the gift of God, whereby he sovereignly gives faith through the preaching of his sent ministers, which is the means that God has ordained. I like that verse in Ephesians 2, there in 8 9. It says, By grace ye are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God's, it is the gift of God, lest any man should boast. And this saving faith, well, it's common to all of God's elect. And we see that in verse 4, that it acknowledges the truth. You see, this is why we're here this morning. We know that it pleased God through the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And beloved, he has saved us, he is saving us, and he shall save us. Now, put simply, salvation is all of grace and is entirely determined, dependent, and accomplished on by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. It's, it's entirely determined, dependent upon, and accomplished by the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, I love that verse in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 26, don't you? It says there, he appeared, or he came the first time to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And so now, this saving faith which is given to God's elect, that faith leads those who believe to both love and acknowledge the truth. That is, they confess the truth that glorifies God. Now, the nature of the faith of God's elect involves believing the truth from the word of God, 
And that truth is concerning his son, our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, Christ, who is the truth, he's revealed by the Holy Spirit of truth, and that revelation comes through preaching. And so both true faith and true repentance both lead to the same end. They both glorify God and confess that salvation is in Christ Jesus alone. That it, it, that in Christ dwells, hear this, all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and beloved, we stand complete in Him. In Titus 1, verse 1, it speaks there about the saving faith of the gift of God to His people, which is according to the faith of God's elect. Now, these chosen individuals to whom God has granted faith genuinely and truly acknowledge, love, embrace, and confess the truth of salvation in Christ. That's why Paul said, God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. We read in 1 Corinthians 1.30, But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God has made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Salvations of the Lord. Does that not delight your heart to hear that? <laughs> of him are ye in Christ Jesus. Not of you or me, but ever so blessedly, according to God's purpose and grace, are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God has made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Now look at Titus 1 verse 2. In hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. God be true and every man a liar. Beloved, God promised this hope of eternal life before the world began. And true faith acknowledges and believes in a sure hope of eternal life through the grace of God. And beloved, we rest with this confidence and this blessed hope, Christ in us, which is called the hope of glory. Now this hope is not like some shot in the dark. For you see, this hope is a true living person, Christ in us, the hope of glory. And we have this good hope through grace, the grace of God. And by that grace, we lay hold of the Lord Jesus Christ for not some of our salvation, but all of it. Well, this hope of salvation in Christ is the promise of God who is ever true. It's by his promise, the, the one who cannot lie. And so our sure salvation is by the promise of God. And it's an eternal promise. God's promises of hope, of eternal salvation, eternal justification, eternal sanctification, and indeed a total and complete deliverance from all our enemies. And this promise goes all the way back to the covenant of grace made with the Godhead in eternity. When God the Father chose a people where Christ Jesus our Lord determined to be their surety, the surety and savior of his covenant people. And he's called the great shepherd of the sheep, who in time came and secured their salvation by his blood atonement and imputed to them a perfect righteousness, which he established on the earth on their behalf. This is the only ground and hope of our salvation, beloved. This is the promise of eternal life that God hath made in Christ Jesus before the world began. And it's an eternal promise. Peter talked about this in his second epistle. He writes in Second Peter 1 verse 4, Given unto us are exceeding great and precious 
promises. And beloved, we possess those promises in Christ Jesus, promises of salvation, promises of eternal everlasting life, knowing that God foreordained all his works from before the beginning. Beloved, this salvation by promise of him who cannot lie is according to the word of God given us in Christ. And since it's true that God promised eternal life in Christ before the world began, it is the obligation of everyone to believe that promise. For this promise has been given to us by God himself in his word. And as I mentioned earlier, he, God cannot lie. It's all right for you to question the man and say, well, I think he might be lying. But you start doubting God. Well, what are you making out God to be, a liar? That's exactly right. And so since it is true that God promised eternal life in Christ Jesus, uh, you can depend on his word. He does not lie. Now, the faith of God's elect, as we've talked about before, is persuaded by this promise. And the faith of God's elect embraces this promise. You see, it's both persuaded by the promise and it embraces the promise. We read in Romans chapter 4 that Abraham believed God and he was fully persuaded that, that all that God had promised, God was able to perform. How do we know anything about this eternal promise of salvation given to those elect who acknowledge the truth? Beloved, it's through preaching. It says forth in Titus 1 verse 3. It says there, But hath in due times manifested or revealed his word through preaching, which is committed unto me according to the commandment of God our Savior. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his Son made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. God called preachers after he raised his son from the dead and our risen Lord, we see this in the last part of Matthew and Mark, our Lord commanded his church to go into the world, into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And now this promise this covenant promise of grace and salvation in Christ has been manifested in these due times through preaching. What had been hidden in types, sacrifices, and shadows under the law in God's appointed time is now manifested through preaching. The Lord Jesus Christ himself is the word of God and incarnate. The word was, that was with God and the word that was God was made flesh and dwelt among us. And the preaching of the gospel is a promise of salvation in Christ that we have been commissioned to declare to all creatures. Paul, when he wrote to young Timothy, charged him to preach the word. And he emphasized the message of Christ crucified, saying, I am determined to, know, to not know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. God in his due time, has chosen to manifest his word through preaching. And this mandate, this great commission, is committed unto us according to the commandment of God our Savior. Paul said, We have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. You see, beloved, we're not to make much of the preacher. We're not to make much of the preacher, that's for sure. But we should most certainly make much of the preaching. How come? For it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save those who believe. 
God has been pleased to call it his people, to reveal his gospel to his sheep, and to call them through the preaching of the glorious good news. How that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. This promise of eternal life and salvation comes through the covenant of God's mercy and grace and his covenant redemption in Christ Jesus. Faith, as it said, indeed, as I said last week, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Now, as we conclude our study, let's take a look at verse 4 of Titus 1 where Paul refers to Titus as my own son. My own son. Now, now we know from reading Scripture that Titus wasn't Paul's biological son, but rather they were both born into the family of God, both being born again from above by the Spirit of God. And Titus heard Paul preach the gospel, and by the grace of God believed it, becoming an heir of God, and together with Paul and us, co-heirs with Christ. And we see here that both Paul and Titus shared a familiar relationship, being adopted into the household of God. Now there's a a phrase I want to highlight in that verse. There in verse 4, Titus 1, it says there, To Titus, mine own son, after the common faith. It's a common faith. Now, the faith of God's elect is only common in one sense, in that it all comes from the same source, You see, it's given by God. Now, this word common does not mean that it's ordinary, but rather that it shares the same origin. And this common faith has one object, our blessed Redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is both the author and finisher of our faith. Indeed, he's the author and finisher of our salvation. Listen to what our brother Paul writes in his epistle, uh, the, the Philippians, what he writes to the Philippians, they're in Philippi. Being confident of this very thing, I have no doubt about it, Paul saying. Being confident of this very thing, that God, which hath begun a good work in you, will perform it. That is, he will perfect it until the day of Jesus Christ. And since this faith is from the same source, all who truly believe by that God-given faith hold to the same truth and the same promise. For it is God who hath saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. You want to hear that again? We see we read the same thing in Titus. Titus uh, 3, it says there in verse 5, but I'll begin reading the beginning of chapter 3. Now this is Paul writing to young Titus and he says this in verse 3. Beloved Titus, put them in mind to be subject to principalities and powers, to obey magistrates, to be ready to every good work. He's speaking there, you know, exhort the people to have a good testimony. If there's a law somewhere... (laughs) Don't be known for just making yourself the exception. (laughs) Right, babe? Oh, does that cut me? (laughs) That certainly cuts me. Put them in mind to be subject to principalities, mayors, um, the local police, (laughs) the constables, uh, 
if there's somebody in a store, you know, who's given the authority over that store, be subject to that. Don't be a problem. <laughs> Put them in mind to be subject to principalities and powers, to obey magistrates, to be ready to every good work, to speak evil of no man, to be no brawlers, but gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving diverse lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But after that the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done. We, we didn't deserve this mercy. We didn't do something to make ourselves to differ. We didn't uh, check off the right box, and because of that, God's merciful to us. It says so plainly, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us, by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Beloved, we're justified by God's grace and made co-heirs with his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, according to the hope of eternal life. You see, beloved, this common faith has one source, one object, one hope, one truth, and it yields the same effect. It glorifies God. As Paul declared before, so I say so again, God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. This common faith is born of the grace and mercy of God, and it brings peace to the hearts of his people. As we read in Titus 1 and verse 4, it says there, in the latter part, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ our Savior. Throughout this epistle, the Lord Jesus Christ is often referred to as God our Savior. My friend, if your Savior is not God, you're in big, pro- you're in big trouble. If, if your Savior is not God, you're in big trouble. But you, beloved, you who know by God's grace that Christ is God manifest in the flesh, you know that he's delivered us from all our fears. Indeed, he's delivered us from the wrath to come. What was it that our Lord said to those murmurers? Do you remember? What did our Lord say to those murmurers? He said unto them, Ye are from beneath, I am from above. Ye are of this world, I am not of this world. I said therefore unto you, that ye shall die in your sins, if ye believe not that I am. Ye shall die in your sins. May God grant both the sinner behind the pulpit and the sinner in the pew to do just that, to believe on Christ, to call him from the heart, wonderful, (laughs) counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Amen.